0: Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. This church is a very positive church. You've got a pastor who's very positive, but maybe some of you have problems. (laughs) Maybe some of you get irritated when Joseph's so positive all the time. I don't know. My uh, my grandmother had a lot of problems, physical problems and so forth. I recently ran across her prayer book where she had written out her prayers to the Lord and her suffering and whatever. But my uh, my brother-in-law used to say that she, she was uh, miserable, but she let everybody know about it. Um, she enjoyed every bit of her misery. Uh, there are some people like that too. Um, but... Missions is painful. I just wanted to recognize that fact. <laughs> it's, it's joyous. It's glorious. And we're talking about that. And we're, that's the ebullience of, of what we have. But it's painful when we get out there. It's lonely on the front. <laughs> it's tough. So I want to be honest about that with you. I want us to think about that as well. John, the Apostle John, is writing here in the book of Revelation. And I want us to get the context here before we jump right into this glorious passage and all of that. We want to look at where John was. John was on the island of Patmos. And uh, you might think, oh great, yeah, he was in his Greek island vacation. He was on Patmos. Well, no, uh, Patmos is a kind of a desert island right off the coast of uh, today's Turkey. And uh, John wasn't there for vacation. John was a prisoner. He was in exile. And uh, he was was there, and as he looked around, things weren't great. Things were really pretty bad. Now... We have bad things in our lives individually, things that happen in times that those things happen. And we have times in our own country that bad things happen and tough things happen. And it's, it's tougher to be faithful or it's tougher to give. And other times when it's a little easier and so forth. And yet, gosh, when you think about who we are and what we have, we, just, we can't relate really to where John was at this time. At this time... Emperor Domitian was in charge. We're talking about 95 A.D. And Domitian was persecuting the Christians. Christians were being, not only having all of their goods confiscated, they were being thrown to the lions. The Appian Way was lighted by burning bodies of Christians who had been crucified all down the road. Streetlights. It was a bad time. here John is sitting on this island and looking at all of this. He was getting discouraged. Now, we can get discouraged. I mean, all of us, you know, at any time in life, something can happen and discourage us. But that doesn't take away from our call, does it? You know, it's, we're so blessed. We are so rich. Uh, Constantly, God has been impressing on me how rich I am, how much I've been given, I mean, physically, I mean, what I was raised in, raised right here in Jackson in the middle class, and I had education, I had everything, you know, the future was bright, I had things I could do, I could try to do, I could choose my own way. We're so blessed. In Revelation 2.9, it says, you are rich. <laughs> we are rich. Let's just admit that. We're privileged. We really are. Let's just admit that. But the question is, what do we do with it? What are we doing with this freedom that we have? We have freedom to worship. We're doing that here today. Let's enter it. Let's grab hold of it and enjoy this glorious worship and opportunity we have to lift up God. Let's remember places like in China where the early rain church has just been disbanded by the government where the the pastor and others from the congregation were a hundred people from the congregation were rounded up, taken off to the police station. And 15 of these people have never been heard from again. We don't know where they are. They need our prayer. Oh, what an opportunity we have for worship every Sunday and other times in between. How blessed we are. I think this. There have never been in the world Christians, so rich as we, for whom it has cost so little to spread the gospel. Think about that. We're rich. Uh, when I first went to Ukraine, we had a, had a guide, and uh, she was always joking with me. And uh, my Russian was pretty bad after simply four months of studying Russian. And uh, so she would go around with me and, and help me find my way and... Uh, Signed contracts and other stuff. And she said, oh, in America, it must be boring. In America, ah, you go and turn on the water, and the water comes out. (laughs) Or you turn on the hot water. Here in Ukraine, is there going to be water today? Um, We are blessed. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on us. I'm just trying to admit this fact. God, in this moment, has blessed us. Let's thank him. Let's thank him and let's be responsible. Use the blessings he's given us in ways that honor him. Not because the pastor asks you to do it, but whatever it is Jesus is asking you to do, to do that. But John, at this point, the Apostle John, the beloved of Jesus, the one who lay up on Jesus' breast, the one who was around him, now has lived his life. The other guys have died out. It's been a long time now since Jesus has gone. We're talking almost, what, 60 years since Jesus has left? And he's seen the church grow, but then he's seen this persecution come. And he's seeing now, as he looks around at the church, he's starting to get discouraged. Look at Revelation 2 and 3. It's not a nice picture. As he looks at these churches, here he is 50 miles off the coast. It's about 50 miles away from Ephesus. The church in Ephesus isn't doing great. And the church over in Izmir, not far from there, is not doing great. Pergamum, the other churches. As he looks around, he's getting discouraged. And so he prays from his prison. And God answers him. God answers him with a vision. A vision of waving flags. Let's go to the word of God. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. After these things, I looked and behold... A great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our understanding and our application. Here we have flags, okay, all right, the word here is palm branches, okay, Uh, and they're celebrating here, but we do have flags in the Bible. If you look back at uh, Numbers chapter 2 and other places in Numbers, you find that when God had called out his people that he then had organized them uh according to families according to tribes and uh, and each of those had their own insignia their own flag and uh and when they marched out together each one would carry their flag and so this was was a point of identity who are you oh yeah you're under that flag that's who you are and we have flags we have uh, f- we use flags and we use the word flags in many ways we have uh you know flag football People used to play when I was coming along. We didn't want to kill ourselves, um, and uh, we we played capture the flag. And we usually did kill ourselves when we played that. Um, you can flag a, a location on your map, but it means more than that. A flag, you know, brings an identity. It can be a celebration. Uh, you can uh, put out flags in in welcome. Sometimes the uh, hotels know there's going to be a, a conference, and they I've seen where they put up the flags of each of the nations represented at this international conference. Uh, so flags can be celebratory. Uh, flags can also be for identity. When I was in Kiev, uh, we lived in the capital city for the past five years, and uh, so we would look out our window. We'd, we'd hear some sirens. We'd look out, and we would see um, the police cars coming by and then a big black limousine coming by with flags flying on it. And, oh, that's the, the, administ- the ambassador from Turkey coming by and, and so forth. Uh, flags have, have an identity, and uh, we ourselves have flags with which we identify. You know, we, we celebrate that, uh, celebrate international things as well. With, you think about the Olympics uh, when they have that great parade of flags, and each team comes in flying their flag proudly and, uh, and wearing insignia on their, on their clothing to represent their own nation, their own culture, and, and it's exuberant, isn't it? I think of that. When I think of this passage, I think of the the joy of that coming in and looking at each nation, saying, what's peculiar? What's particular about this nation? What do they represent? What can we glory in along with them that is so special about them? But there are other ways we use flags as well. We use flags in battle between nations. And people use what they call a battle flag, And they fly this in order to carry against the enemy, in order to rally our troops, in order to remind our people, what are we committed to? What are the values? What's at stake in this battle? And then when people do fall in battle, we use the flag to honor them as well. We drape it across a casket. We honor the person. Then we fold the flag and present the flag to the widow and family that they would remember and honor the, the, the dedication and sacrifice of the soldier. What do we say when we teach our kids in school? Hopefully we still do that in most places. I pledge allegiance to the flag. We're pledging allegiance. What does that mean? It's, we're saying we have a commitment. We're saying we have an identity. We have a history. We have a belonging together something in common we have community we have a common vision now those things change over time there's some things in our national vision that are not quite right and we've had to correct that and our nation struggles with that who are we as a nation and most recently some people are saying i can't salute that flag anymore because it represents this or that and i'm not going to do that not my flag Well, we have a flag as a nation. The question is, who are we and what are we going to continue to represent? What do we need to change maybe in our values that that flag represents? When we were in Ukraine, uh, (laughs) we were in Odessa for 19 years down on the Black Sea. Then we moved directly north from there. Ah, I don't like to move north. I'm I'm a southerner. I I don't like all the cold and the snow. And anyway, we moved north. God led us up there and... uh, we got to Kiev and got settled into our apartment just in time. I mean, God provided an apartment right on the main street of this capital city, a city the size of Atlanta, five million people in Kiev. And we got there just in time for the revolution. <laughs> and so, you know, we're looking out our windows at tanks rolling by and we're looking out our windows at people walking by with torches. You know, it was a crazy time, but... Among those things, one of the things that happened in this Maidan revolution in, um, uh, five years ago in 2014 uh, is that people started really to respect their own flag. They started to take that as their own. And, and we, see, we saw all sorts of people wearing the colors of their nation, wearing it over their shoulders, wearing it in, in many different ways, Even today, they tie a little something with the colors of Ukraine. Flags can can bring an expression of some values that we are holding within. What flags do we follow? What flags give expression to who we are? Now, some people, I, I don't know if it's so common anymore, there was a period during which I think in the 80s, 90s, when people would uh, have a family flag and we put it out in our yard. And people, you know, in the neighborhoods, they started uh, developing. There was sometimes a neighborhood flag. Um, but we still do some of that. We have the Mississippi flag, which people are saying, well, does this still represent who we are? Maybe we need to change the flag. It's a question. Uh, or other people, I don't know, this is a little bit difficult to talk about in Mississippi. You know, some people have a Mi- an old Miss Flag. And some people have a Mississippi state flag or some other flags, and um, we we honor our alma mater, don't we? We have some identity. It still represents something to us. I want to show you another flag. Anybody recognize this gentleman? <laughs> Lenin. <laughs> So this was a Soviet banner from Soviet Union. And I've seen the, the communist symbol in the Soviet flags being carried in Odessa. There were parades on, on May Day. The communists would come out and rally everybody they could to identify with the values of the revolution. So flags aren't always quite celebratory, are they? We have a gut reaction against some of these things. Now, let me show you one a little more shocking. Now, this is a flag that my father brought back from World War II. I have a picture of my father polishing his shoes with this flag to show disrespect to this flag. So don't be shocked. All that it came to represent some people identified with this flag because it was German nationalism. It was an idea of an identity of a people. But then it went on and on and went into bad values and bad values of hate and evil. And we Men had to die to take down this flag. Flags aren't always so great. Think of the rebel flag. What does it represent? That's an issue as well. My great-great-grandfather fought in the Civil War, the war between the states. (laughs) He was from Mississippi, and he went up and fought in Virginia for the South. But what does that flag represent? For a long time, to me, it just represented an identity of, of the South. It represented an identity of some values, some good, positive cultural values. But it's come to represent, in our day, it's come to represent racism. And as part of the Mississippi flag, that's also a question, you know. I'm not going to solve that for you today, but I want us to think about this. It's values we're talking about here. It's not just symbols. Symbols are giving expression to the values that are deep in here. What values do we have? What values are we willing to stand for? What values are we willing to die for? And that's what's in our text. These people have lived for the values of Jesus Christ. And they come now, they are in heaven. Here they come with their palm branches, celebrating victory, celebrating salvation. What is it they say? Well, first of all, who are these people? This is point two, who are the people? Are these the righteous and the good, those that live good enough to get into heaven? No. These are the people who have been sealed by the seal of God. If we look at the, the context here, you have to look at the larger literary context of, of this. And in chapter 6, just before our chapter 7, in chapter 6 we had all sorts of seals of judgments coming. And one after the other after the other, famine and death and martyrdom and war. Uh, All of these, one after the other, are coming. It's it's impending. It's on the way that the judgment of God is coming. And it's being expressed in different ways here upon the earth. And this judgment is approaching. And then God says, wait. And we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, God says, wait, these things aren't going to come yet. Not until I have sealed my own people. I've got them numbered. I'm finding them. I'm going to get them before that judgment comes, that judgment that is well deserved upon all the earth. But at first, I'm going to save my people. And that's what God is doing. That's what it says. These angels then are sent out to seal them. And we find the sealing in this early part of chapter 7. Then we find the numbering. This gets all kind of complicated because this is the Apostle John, after all. And uh, he is a theologian, and he goes really deep, and he uses all the Bible and all the symbols and everything else. And and then it comes down here, the numbering. All the, It says all these tribes are represented. Nobody's left out. I've got them all. And I'm going to seal every individual, one of them, right on your head. Now, let me ask the question here. Has God reached you yet? Has God sealed you? Has he placed his seal, his mark of identity on you? Because when he puts that seal upon you, you are his. Now, this is what baptism is supposed to represent. A sign and a seal of those that are in Christ those that identify with him as his people. But here we have a, a, not looking at all of the vicissitudes of life and of the Christian life. We're looking at the end of all that here. This is, this is the vision given to John. John, who's getting so discouraged, looking at the church, looking at the sin in the church, looking at the sin in his own life, looking at the problems of the external world, looking at the evil and the death and the sickness and so forth. All of this is a result of sin. And he's getting discouraged, and God says, Wait, John, look. Look up here. And behold, I looked, and I saw a great multitude that no man could number. It's beyond 144,000. It's a multitude no man can number. And here they all are, these sinners, these problem people, whatever else, but they're his. And they are all dressed in white. They're all completely holy before God. And the angels are wondering, what's going on here? Wait a minute. I love this passage in, uh, in First Peter, where, uh, I, don't, I don't know where I have my reference here, but in First Peter he's saying uh, that the angels long to look into this. The angels can't figure it out. How is it that sinful humans, now we're holy, we're not fallen, and we're angels up here, and, and yet these guys get to come in? And so here we have all these guys in holy array before God. The angel's standing around watching. And then the angel's are saying, Bravo, God. Only Jesus is worthy. And he did it. And they are holy. And they are brought here. And we're all celebrating. And we're saying, Salvation does not depend on me. We're saying salvation belongs unto God and to the Lamb. God has saved us. That's what they're celebrating. They're not celebrating, look at us. We're bringing our flag. We're going to honor God with our flag because of who we are. No. We're saying we don't even deserve to be here. And whatever flag we have, we lay it before the Lamb. Earlier in Revelation, it also has a a similar picture here. It talks about the kings sitting around. It talks about uh, 24 thrones sitting around the throne. And these With their crowns on, and we reflect this in one of our hymns that they're casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Whatever honor we have, we throw it to the ground, and that's what happens in our text. All of these people coming in with this parade of flags, and they lay the flags down, and they lay on their faces, and they say, praise God. And then it says, the angels respond, In verse 12, and and the angels fall on their faces and they say, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. In other words, God did it. Yes, God is the Savior. He sent them out. Well, here's the question. Number one, how do we lay down our flag? Are you just trying to keep your flag and add add in the little flag of Christianity? That doesn't work. That's not what God is all about. He's about taking your flag, about taking your commitments and transforming them. You see, because it has to change because Jesus isn't just Savior. Jesus is Lord, and he wants to be Lord of your flag. He wants to be Lord of your life, of your family's flag. Are we willing to raise that flag at home? Are we willing to raise that flag with our kids to spend time together in the Word of God, to have our kids seeing us reading the Word, to explain what does the Word mean, to apply that within our own family context, to see them humbling ourselves before God? Are we willing to raise such a flag in our neighborhood at work? And what does it mean to raise that flag? It means that Jesus decides on the values of our lives. Have we turned to him to decide? Because there are some things in our culture Jesus doesn't like. Just as with Germany, Germany had to change its flag because they had the wrong commitments. They repented of that and they've changed. Are we willing to change some things in our own culture? They're tough things we have to look at. I'll leave it up to the pastors to preach those things. But they're there. And Jesus, to be Lord, he has to decide. And not for us to decide. But what then are we to do? We need to go to the world. We need to change. And then we need to go to the world not to get them to take our flag. We want to get them to take Jesus. And that Jesus then would change their flag. Jesus would change their values from within, that he would be Lord in that culture. John Piper says in his book on missions, missions exists because worship doesn't. Think about that. Missions exists, in other words, we have a mission to go out to the world because they're not worshiping Jesus yet. Jesus is not yet Lord in their lives, in their culture, in their families. So we don't go and tell them, well, you have to do it like us. We go out and tell them Jesus is Lord. Love him. Look at his beauty. Behold what he can do within your own culture and values. That is what we call them to. My greatest joy has been to see my children... My grandchildren, my children in the faith, growing in the Lord. See them walking with God. May that be your joy as well. What greater thing can we leave? We don't need to leave our children a big inheritance of money. That's that's not our big value. Our value needs to be to leave an inheritance of spiritual life. That they would worship God, know him, Because in him are all the blessings of God. You know, one day, there won't be any money. (laughs) One day, worship will be all there is. What do these people have that come in these white robes? They have nothing but Jesus, and that's all they need. There's no hunger. There's no sorrow. There's nothing. they're They're there to worship God. Now, I don't know exactly what heaven looks like. I think there are a lot of things to do there. I think there's sports in heaven, okay? But uh, there's not going to be the sinful sports that we have here. But, you know, it's going to be a glorious time. But God's going to be at the center of it all. That's what we need to learn here and now, to worship God, to raise others up, to see Him, how glorious He is, how He's behind all of this glorious life that we have. Everything in life comes from Him He's the maker, not simply of biological life. He's the maker of the riches. Every good thing is in him. That's what we carry to the world. So how? How is this going to happen? How Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go and live with other people to see their values, to challenge their values, to preach, to share the word, to live it, to struggle in life alongside them. And this is what our missionaries do. They go. But they don't just go. They also go and stay. And they learn the language. They learn the culture. They live among the people, struggle with them, learn what their issues really are. Now, I love short-term missions as well, and it serves a great purpose. It's a great thing also for you to see as well as to contribute. But you do it best when connected with people that are living there that are continuing to carry out the gospel there and can help direct what you're doing to have the most effect for the gospel. So, what's our part? What can we do? We can go, we can send, gotta pray, and we can give. We're gonna do Faith Promise in a minute. <clears throat> and I did Faith Promise, started doing Faith Promise, when I was in junior high school, down at First Pres. And it blessed me. It made it real to me, not only the need and giving and taking apart, but seeing God work, seeing that God does provide. God provided for me so I could give the things I had said I would give if He gave it. And it taught me to pray. Back then, I was praying God would knock down the walls of the Soviet Union. He literally did that. It took him a while. I never expected him to call me to go in when he did it, but he did. But we then have flags to bring, and we're not alone. There's only one God. And we bring in our palms and we lay it down to him in worship. May that be in your heart. May that drive whatever you... If you're called to go, wonderful. And we need people. And if you're not called to go, God still calls you to pray and give and to take part. Be involved in this worldwide, here locally, in your family, in your own personal life. And maybe there's somebody here that hasn't done that. May you realize Jesus is Lord. And this is what God is about in the world. And he's going to fix all the broken things in the world. And it's just easy for him. He'll do it in his own time. But right now, he's finding his people because he has a family. He's getting them all together. And we're all going to have a glorious future. Thank you for your support, for your prayers, for your ministry right here as my missionaries right here. Amen.